This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hi, this is Ed Charbonneau with Eat Sleep Code, and I just wanted to let you guys know that we are trying to make the show better. So we've set up a survey at developer.telerik.com slash survey, and we are collecting feedback from listeners to see what we can do to make the show better for you. So please stop by developer.telerik.com slash survey and fill it out. We'd appreciate it. We've also got 10 licenses to Telerik products and t-shirts that we'll be giving away to 10 lucky winners. Thanks for your help. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Julie Learman. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ed. And today we're going to talk about the mental processes of a software developer. So we've got a little bit of a soft skills talk lined up, but first let me introduce Julie. Julie is a Pluralsight author. You may know her from uh, the Entity Framework or Data part of software development. Uh, She's an author of several Microsoft books on that topic. And she is also the author of the Data Points column on MSDN Magazine. You will frequently see her at many conferences. I personally had the honor of seeing her do a keynote at CodeStock a couple years ago and really enjoyed that. And her, you can find her website at data, thedatafarm.com. And she's also newly the Microsoft Regional Director. So with that said, Julie, did I miss anything? Would you would you like to add anything to that? No. Oh, the MVP program would probably be happy to have that mentioned. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been a MVP, Microsoft MVP for 13 years. Um a regional directory regional director for a couple of months. I have to say you have a well deserved laundry list of Great credentials there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so today we were uh, we were actually discussing this on on Twitter before the show. Like, I you do a lot of entity framework discussions, and it would um, it would benefit the podcast listeners if we took the topic elsewhere. So we decided to do kind of like a soft skills topic. Uh, there, there's plenty of resources out there that you've already done on Entity Framework. So we're going to kind of take this uh, path of uh, what are what are some of the mental processes that software developers go through uh, to get our jobs done? Because we are always in and out of many different applications and operating systems, and we're always learning and always continuing to upkeep like legacy projects and things like that. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm glad that we'll be talking about this because I've been programming for so long that it's nice to be able to share some of this other side of my experience with people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have a long history of uh, experience and you've worked on things like Fox Pro and Visual Basic 6 and you've continued to keep up with new things like NED Framework and NED Framework Core, and you're you're uh, working with JavaScript as well. Uh, so, what is it like to work a, across that range of technologies? 
Well, I think it's perfect for a developer because, you know, we're all, we've all got a little ADD tendencies, right? <laughs> short, short uh, attention span. So popping around from one thing to another. And, and you know, I, I kid with that, right? Because it's also um, in many ways really frustrating, right? Because uh, along with that tendency, when you're focused, you kind of need to stay there. So it's really hard to, um, you know, be focused on one topic and then have something come up and you just have to pop over to something else. Um, and also working in some of these older legacy apps that, I, that I'm still supporting, <laughs> um, it's frustrating because the tools, you know, I'm, I'm so spoiled with newer technologies and newer ways of doing things. Um, and when I say tools, you know, I also mean languages and how you express things. It's so frustrating because I'm so limited when I have to go back and work in these older applications. And there's a, um, you know, funny balance with those applications. You know, I joke that I unfortunately did a really good job writing them, which is why they will not die, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and and. There's power to that, right? These are applications that are uh, helping businesses do their work, and they, I did, a, they're they're good. They still help them manage the company, right? But the business processes change, and it's really difficult to keep up with that. Although, they for the newer things, like in that particular company where I do have the VB six and the Fox Pro app. They also have lots of new apps also. So we don't, you know, when there's a big new thing, we don't just stuff it in those old apps. But we just haven't replaced what's in those apps. Now, these VB6 and Fox Pro apps, are they specifically apps that you wrote? Or do you have to go back and work with other people's code as well? No, well, I actually think that the Fox Pro started out like in 1994 as somebody else's app, but it was a little piece and I, you know, grew it into something much different. Um, and the VB6, yeah, I actually started that in VB4, I think, taking some work that they'd been doing in Excel for many years. And, you know, we kind of started there and then just grew it from that. And that that's actually the app that really has their core business processes built into it. No, let me let me ask you a question. I think I may already know the answer to. When you go back to these apps that you wrote, you know, several years ago, do you notice a difference in oh your god. style of code? Oh my god. <laughs> Come on, you go back to code you wrote a month ago. <laughs> it's awful. It's really 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 hard to go back in there and, you know, tweak things because you just want to change everything, right? But Changing everything really means rewriting the app, and um, it's really painful, and there's so much technical debt there. You know, eventually, these apps are going to be replaced, right? So, um, you know, we we have kind of an agreement about, you know, this balance between the technical debt um, and just, you know, just sticking another Band-Aid in there to get it to do this one other thing, even though, you know, I just want to go in and just change everything. I do try, you know, where I'm, if I'm working in a particular area and I see things that are just too painful, whether 
it's from the perspective of looking how the looking at how the code is, or um, if I'm kind of UI testing it and and reliving the user's experience. You know, if something bothers me, I will um, just check with the client and change it a little bit if if needed, because they're so used to the app that they don't complain about things. And I tell them they should. Like they don't complain. Like they're just used to the way things work, right? And mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'm like, oh my god, this would drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta change how that works. So, but you know, we try not to put too much into it. So when you're when you're going from like new projects to old projects, you say, you know, there's all these things you wish you could use, and you know, you you haven't or can't. When you go the opposite way, do you find yourself on like newer projects doing things an older way that you might have, you know, something like Link to help you write code faster and you, you know, just get into the old habit of doing for each instead? Or do you, do you find it just an oh, easy I, transition the other way? I, you know, I don't, I, I definitely do everything I can to take advantage of the, you know, those, those things in the newer languages and tools that bring such value to us. Um, just as an example, I, I, I don't do a lot of work in JavaScript, but I revisit it constantly, right? So I, I, I don't have a lot of um, client work, although I've, I've actually done some for that particular client. But, uh, you know, so I'm not working in it all the time. Um, so I, you know, learned things like jQuery, right, and learned how to do some things like that. And then I revisited and did some data, more data, modern data binding stuff. And then I started playing with Aurelia. And one of the things I did when I was working with Aurelia is try to learn how they're doing things the, you know, I'm going to say the Aurelia way, right, uh, using their paradigms and not leaning on you know, well, I already, this is how I've always done it. Like when I did it with jQuery, this is what I knew. Instead of just doing it that way, looking to see if there's, you know, a more direct way of leveraging the, the, the new tool to, you know, to do it better. So I, I, I mean, it takes time and, um, you know, it's an investment, right? But there's a, there's a reason for you know uh, something like Aurelia to be there, right? So mm -hmm. it makes sense to leverage what they've built into uh, into their APIs rather than just doing things you know the way I'm used to. So this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you on the show. We probably uh, with very uh, much safety I can say that we are the first podcast to have mentioned Fox Pro and Aurelia <laughs> within the same five-minute window. I, I span the centuries, literally, <laughs> right? Yeah, this, is, this is great, though. I, I love this type of conversation because there there's a lot of uh, people out there that, you know, dig their heels into a single language, and they get really good at it, and that's fine. Uh, but I feel like you need to have this variety to have perspective on the language that you're proficient at well I, it also gets you out of patterns you know so it does enable you to learn new things i remember when net came out you know vb.net and c sharp a lot of people were saying that it made 
a real sense for VB programmers, people who had been using VB for years, to move over to C Sharp so that they won't ju wouldn't just keep using .NET the way they'd always been using VB6 and VB5, right? That they would like see it as a new see it as a new language, new APIs, new language, new uh, way of doing things. So it kind of force them out of you know force them out of that mold, even though you know it also forces you out of your comfort zone. So I I am you know doing that all the time. Yeah, and when you do that as a developer, you see yourself, you know, the style of code that you write change. You see new patterns emerge that you might not have thought of before. Um, I think JavaScript is a good pairing uh, with um, a language like C Sharp or uh, maybe even Ruby uh, going on that side for a little while and just checking that out and just see how your development style changes after you even just practice another style of code yeah. like that. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I'll whine a little bit about some of the troubles I have with JavaScript. And people say, well, why aren't you just using TypeScript? And, <laughs> uh, you know, because it'll be easier. But I, f I just feel like I'm learning more by, you know, using it's like the little lower level, right? Because it's forcing me to understand these different paradigms and, and ways of doing things, even though it would be easier to just use TypeScript and, and still kind of think in C-sharp, so to speak, and still get, you know, the JavaScript code, which I understand yeah. that. I, I understand, you know, for a lot of reasons, because also the way I do things, it takes a lot of time, and a lot of people don't have that extra time, but the way my work, you know, it's like that's kind of built into my work day. Yeah, and this this may be a little off topic, maybe not. Um, but another thing that's exciting to see is, like with C Sharp, um, there's actually other programming styles and languages that are having influence on that language itself. So if you've been paying attention to the C Sharp language, over the last few iterations, you'll notice there's a lot of functional programming coming into the language. Have you dealt with any of that? No. I mean, beyond <laughs> Link. Um, I've played a little bit with F-sharp because, you know, um, oh, gosh, you know, hang out with people like Rachel Reese, right? And and it's just, duh, it's kind of a mind-blowing. <laughs> you always see that, you know, when Rachel or the F-sharp people do presentations at conferences, you always inevitably see tweets, mind-blown. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Entity framework never blows anybody's minds. What can I say? Um, but anyway, so, you know, I've played with it a little bit um, and even written uh, with Rachel's help. I even used my data points column as an excuse to kind of jump in and, and play just to kind of get some kind of understanding of it. So no, I, I haven't really taken advantage of, of those kinds of things in C Sharp. But just, you know, as an example, um, when I was first using Aurelia, which was using ES6, I have to say that carefully, ECMAScript, not Entity Framework, um, one of the things in there that Aurelia took advantage of was string interpolation, right? And I'd mm -hmm. never been exposed to string interpolation before. I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I realized C-sharp 6 had it. I just kind of had <laughs> missed that, right? Like yeah. I saw 
Somehow, somewhere I saw C sharp six string interpolation. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Hey, I know what that is because, you know, I did that in JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point to make as well because I've, I've noticed I, um, I do a lot of C sharp in JavaScript. So I notice the things like uh, JavaScript picking up a lot of C sharp like functionality. So string interpolation is identical uh, in ES uh, 2016. And then there's also um, arrow functions in JavaScript, which are essentially lambdas in C Sharp. Mm -hmm. So those those two languages are aligning on a lot of things, um, but you know one's dynamic and one's static, so they're they're still very different. So it's interesting to see the differences between writing those two. Yeah. So crossing all of these language boundaries, like from VB6 and Fox Pro and so on. Oh, let's not talk uh, so much about those things. <laughs> well, we haven't. Are you really? really that's really... like, you know, a 1% of what I do. Absolutely. but um, <laughs> Painful 1%. <laughs> one thing we haven't touched on with all of the variety of different technologies, let's just say, um, is the tooling that surrounds all this thing, those things is also different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a funny thing happened, uh, what is it, on the way to the forum, um, which is that because of the JavaScript work I was doing, that kind of led me to doing Node and Node is server side. So you can't debug that in the browser like you can with JavaScript. And that led me to install uh, Visual Studio Code on my Windows machine because you can debug node, like it, it's internal part of how Visual Studio, when a, an internal feature of Visual Studio Code. Um, so then, you know, there I was using this cross-platform Visual Studio Code, and they were getting more and more features in it with the extensions, including C Sharp and ASP.NET Core and things like that. I ended up uh, not as my core development machine, but um, for other reasons, I ended up getting a MacBook because, you know, it's po it's possible to, with ASP.NET Core and EF Core, they're cross-platform, right? And Visual Studio Code has the support for them, which meant I could then code in C Sharp, ASP.NET Core, EF Core on the Mac using that same Visual Studio code, right? The same same one, because it's mm -hmm. a cross-platform IDE. So uh, it's just a, a funny thing. I mean, I'm, you know, on my Windows machine right now, and when I'm doing a lot of my work, I, I do on that. Um, but it was, again, just like, you know, trying these other things. Like there I was on a Mac having to learn the keyboard commands and, and everything. But I had I had that con you know, that funny continuity of that transition to use that. And I've been using it to do entity framework core demos, which is I I it's fun and it's cool. And for me it's um just a true expression of, of how cross platform ASP.NET core and EF core are. Not only can you deploy to you know OS X or Linux, you can you can even code and debug in these other environments. But I know it's also kind of been freaking people out a little bit when I uh, did that talk at Techorama in Belgium 
okay, there was also a Zamorin talk in the next room, which was basically made a vacuum of all of the rest of the <laughs> sessions in the conference. Um, but uh, there were not a lot of people in the talk. And I realize it's because, you know, these are people who use Visual Studio and they use Windows machines. And my talk was kind of, you know, it's like it's uh, Entity Framer Core on a Mac, right? So people, I think, are freaking out thinking that I'm saying, you know, give up all that we have with Visual Studio and you should use this on the Mac now, which was not my message. And I realized it was a mistake. It was, you know, it doesn't – I can – still get the same features out of EF Core and ASP.NET Core, whether I'm using, you know, doing it on the Mac or doing it on Windows. The tool, of course, is much more, I mean, I've got so much more available to me with Visual Studio on my Windows machine. So it's really interesting kind of playing around with these ideas and and um, figuring out how to express them. You know, what what is it? Like for me, it was like, oh, this is fun. Hey, I can use a Mac. I've never used a Mac <laughs> before, right? But that... That wasn't the core message, right? Because you know, people are like, "Hey, I need to be productive," and you know, I just you just by by moving to the Mac and using Visual Studio Code, you just took away like you know ninety percent of what I'm used to being able to do with C Sharp in in Visual Studio. So, Visual Studio Code is really really incredibly impressive, and it is very cool to be able to do that right on the Mac. But um, you know, it is really more about Hey, this stuff is so cross-platform. I can even, you know, I could even code it on a Mac and still end up with the same application. Anyway, yeah. so, so yeah, so tool, you know, tool. I have a, I have a Mac, right? But I go back and forth, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I've got my Windows laptop and my Windows big CPU development machine with gobs of gigs of RAM and, you know, four hard drives and and all of that in it. Um, and oh my, uh, I've always had a Windows phone and my Windows phone got smashed to smithereens accidentally when I was in Brazil this spring. So, you know, it's like, hmm, do I get the new Nokia, which I really wanted. I love the Windows phone IDE, right? I really, I'm not the IDE, I mean the, the UI. I really, really love it. But yeah, absolutely. I, I ended up getting an iPhone just, you know, uh, just just because I don't know well the, unfortunately <laughs> the writing's been on the wall for a while and I, I was, was one so of the holdouts torn. as well <laughs> I was so torn because I really really loved my Windows phone really loved it loved the UI um, you know I look at the iPhone I really think it's I, I, it's like ugly compared to I mean the the phone itself the device the physical build of it is extraordinary. It's beautiful. But Nokia's, the Lumia's are also beautiful, physically beautiful phones. But but the the UI, I think the UI of the iPhone is really ugly. <laughs> it's just like so much stuff happening on this, you know, on the screen. Whereas the UI of Windows Phone so pretty. Yeah, they uh, it, it's a shame they couldn't get you know, more of a user base behind that thing and more apps. I think that's what really killed it, and I held out as long as I possibly could. Well, and just like you, I accidentally smashed well, mine. Maybe I didn't even do it; somebody else did. But um, at, at really, on really, it was uh, it was just an accident. Um, but I, I don't know. You know, maybe hopefully, you know, the Surface Phone business 
focus, whatever. It will really be a shame to lose all of that. So hope, hopefully that will be a success. I, you now, know, that's not my area. I'm not an expert in mobile or anything like that. So I get, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's just a tool for me. It's my phone. Now, you've said you bounce back and forth between Windows and Mac. And um, I was going to ask if there, you know, you found any learning curves that really hit home with those. And I'll, I'll share one of mine really quick. Um, I, I was um, handed a Mac and asked to do some work on it uh, not that long ago. And, you know, it wasn't the window situation or the menus or the operating system really that bothered me. Um, as weird as our brains work, I couldn't work the keyboard. <laughs> how long did it figure how long did it take you to figure out how to right click? Um, that and <laughs> yeah, I had to Google it, right? <laughs> yeah. The backspace and the command button situation. Oh, that yeah, back yeah, the back back and back and delete and all and the right clicking, which is you know two finger click, and uh, yeah. So all right. So the weirdest, though, is, um, you know, I have these beautiful 27-inch monitors. I've got my keyboard and mouse. So I really want to be able to leverage them sometimes when I'm working on the Mac. So I found, um, what is it, uh, that's kind of VPN, VNC viewer that is, you know, so you can R basically RDP from a Windows machine into a Mac, right? So mm -hmm. I'm at my Windows machine with my Windows keyboard working on a Mac. So I'm using like the alt keys, the alt key, like the command key and, you know, doing all that. And then I go back to working on, win working in Windows. <laughs> like, I fingers just do not know what to do anymore. So it's not even I'm using the Mac keyboard. I'm using a Windows keyboard to drive a Mac. And then I go back to using the Windows keyboard to drive Windows. It's just like, uh, my brain cannot compute, commute, commute, compute, no, compute. Your muscle memory on these, you know, even the apps and non-physical things as well. It just, it, it's something you can't really plan for <laughs> you just yeah. end up you know but having to deal with it but you know all right so setting aside the productivity issue that you're going to encounter when doing this kind of stuff whether you know i'm like oh i'm just going to code in c sharp on a mac or you know mac keyboard or this or that um so you know again so my productivity just goes like there's just nothing going on because I'm just in learning curves a lot. Um, but it, you know, there's a, there's a huge benefit to kind of keeping yourself nimble enough to be able to learn because if you can't, if you're in this industry and you're not, you don't have the ability to learn, you're screwed because everything's changing all the time. So these are, you know, kind of unplanned tools is like exercising, exercising my learning muscles constantly, constantly so that I'm continuously able to learn and able to key up, keep up and, 
you know, and, you know, here I am working in EF Corp and EF since the beginning of EF and trying to, you know, still be a person who is an expert in it. And it's really hard to keep being an expert in something, <laughs> right? Like that's a lot of work, uh, you know. So I think all of these things lend to um, my ability to do that and also not to get bored, right? Like this, another reason, another thing that drove me to get the MacBook. Oh, Julie, can you come and do another Entity Framework talk at our conference. I'm like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> you know, here's a list of all the new things in Entity Framework. You can get that anywhere. You can read that anywhere, right? It's like, it's, oh, I'm, it's a little boring. So, you know, for me, like, oh, I'm just going to get a Mac and I'm going to code Entity Framework on a Mac. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's still fun. <laughs> Entity Framework is still fun. Now, you talk about... Uh you know, maintaining that expert level and no, you know, attempting have... to <laughs> <laughs> attempting <laughs> to maintain that expert level um, on a certain technology. And then, you know, stuff is evolving extremely rapid, uh, especially as of late. It seems like it's just really accelerated. Uh, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, but you have to do that while maintaining things that you've already built and you're also going to conferences in speaking and workshops and, and, uh, code camps. Um, you're extremely, an extremely busy person. Um, how, how do you maintain that level of expertise while, you know, still learning about all these new things and at the same time trying to teach others? Well, you know, for me, I have to say one of the things that does, and it wasn't an explicit life choice, it's just how my life worked out, that does make it a little easier to do this, is I don't have kids. And again, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to not have kids so that I can do all this stuff. Like the no kids was not a choice. It's just how life happened, right? So um, that already changes a lot and it uh, enables me to do a lot more things that, you know, otherwise I'd be getting called to family services <laughs> all the time <laughs> for, right? Um, so, you know, that actually has made a, a big difference, but I still have to make a lot of choices. And, uh, you know, speaking of conferences, like, well, f if... If it weren't for having to fly, you know, and the travel part, um, it would be harder, even harder to say no. But, you know, you know, pick, I have to pick and choose. I can't speak at every, every place I'd like to go, every event I would love to participate in, all the places around the world that would be awesome to visit. Um, and, you know, I had to do things like I covered up my vegetable garden with black plastic last spring. And that plastic is still on there now in June this year, right? So I just made a little smaller garden closer to the house, right? So uh, normally this time of year, I would have hundreds of miles logged on my road bike. And I've got 20. <laughs> right? So, uh, so right now I don't feel like I'm doing work-life balance very well, 
But on the other hand, I've made commitments, work commitments that I can't not fulfill, right? So I have to make those choices. And sometimes I'm able to uh, make those choices in a way that, you know, I'm on my bike more and I'm having more of a fun Vermont summer. Um, but, you know, but I can't beat myself up for it either. Right. Yeah, I made I these are the choices I made. And these are especially with the commitments. You know, I knowingly made these commitments and uh, I did so because I wanted to. These were things I wanted to do. But it's a really hard thing to stop and say, all right, look, I want to do all these things, but that's impossible. So I have to pick and choose which of those things I'm going to be able to do because otherwise everything's going to be half-assed. Yeah, I think as far as work-life balance goes, uh, I don't think anybody can really say they have like a perfect handle on that situation. And it boils down to, are you happy and are the people around you, like your family, happy? Yeah, and even if, you know, you have these moments of, oh my God, what have I done to myself? Or, oh, I, you know, like I wake up in the morning and, and I see a thousand tweets coming from NDC Oslo and DDD Exchange, right? And I'm like, you know, I chose not to submit to NDC Oslo as much as it's an amazing conference and Oslo and this June and, you know, all of that. But I knew I was just coming off of three months of conferences. And I was like, I have to put a line. I have to stay home. I want to enjoy Vermont. I have to get some work done. And if I'm going to travel, I got to get in the car and go visit my dad. Right? So, yeah, it's it's that's just hard making those choices. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, are you happy with the choices that you made that really matters? You have to be. Mm-hmm. You have to be. And, you know, at my age, I've kind of learned that, right? I think, yeah, I think that's a learned thing. Um, of which choices are, you know, which balance, which mix of those choices is going to work best for you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do think that's a learned thing. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's something that takes um, experience, just like anything else. Um, you know, when you when you're getting extremely busy uh, early in your career, you may get really frustrated with that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and of course, you have outside influences like uh, your spouse or uh, parents or brothers and sisters that want your time and attention or children or four, and, or four kids. <laughs> yeah, like like myself with four daughters. The you know traveling is extremely difficult because. Uh, if you think about the math uh, with four daughters in, um, and if you oh, include that's a lot the of wife stuff there, to miss. yeah. So if you include the wife in that, uh, and myself, that's six people. That's a birthday every two months that I have to navigate. Right. <laughs> well, just a lot of a lot of events, a lot of things. I mean, I feel guilty, you know, putting poor Samson in the boarding kennel. You know, uh, but yeah, I know he has a good time there. <laughs> he's a really good time there at home. He's just lying around all day long, going, "Yeah, I know you got to work." 
I'm assuming Samson's your your puppy dog. Sa- oh, Samson is AKA giant puppy on Twitter. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. I don't put the kid in. I don't have a kid to put in. So he's kennel. he's on your Twitter account, or he has his own Twitter. Oh, he account? He has his own Twitter account. Oh, I did not know this. <laughs> I I must follow. <laughs> so what what type of things do uh, does Samson tweet about? Um. I don't know, great walks, food, uh, the fact that he's a little bored and would prefer that I wasn't working so much and would like to go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So when you're when you're out and uh, you're speaking, um, some might consider that mentoring, but you also do some mentoring activities uh, for work as well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I do have to work for a living also <laughs> so, somewhere in all of this with, you know, playing with all these uh, new technologies because I'm not, you know, I, I'm not when I'm learning JavaScript, I'm not doing that because I've got a JavaScript project for a client. It's because I'm curious about JavaScript and I know that my curiosity will help others and so I could write about it or do presentations on it. Um, but yeah, I have to support that habit. <laughs> uh, so part of what I do when, you know, I mean, I do my column, right? And Pluralsight also is is definitely um, work, you know, work that I get uh, compensated for. Um, but I also mentor teams. It's more teams than individual developers because individual developers have different kinds of needs. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes I'll do it over Skype. Um, sometimes I do it on site, which is really cool, really productive. I'll go in for two or three days and sit around a table. This is not training. This is not me standing in front of a room giving a lecture because like what's, you know, go to a conference, watch a video, right? Read an article if you want that. Um, so I actually work with teams that are having specific problems or specific needs and I sit down and you know spend two or three days being part of the team and uh, helping them through things that they don't happen to have somebody on site expertise in. Sometimes I'm bringing my decades of experience to a team where you know a lot of people are young and they don't have a lot of experience so there's some things they're encountering about you know architecture or something like that. Um, I seem to have a pattern of a lot of the companies I work with are dealing with legacy software that they are replacing. And I help them with their legacy minds, so to speak, (laughs) right? Their legacy perspective. So that they're truly, like you were saying before, like do you find yourself doing things the same way? Right, so I'm helping helping them understand kind of newer ways of designing applications or perceiving your domain or um, even you know t- uh, taking advantage of new entity framework ways of doing things. But it's not specifically entity framework stuff. A lot of it is domain driven design and architecture and things like that. So, yeah, that's a a lot of a lot of fun. I I really love that. So uh, specifically regarding, you know, the younger generation of developers, 
that may be coming out of school. Is there anything you find when you're when you're doing doing these mentoring sessions that schools just not preparing these uh, developers for? Well, I I think a lot of the focus is on um, code, right, and syntax, and not uh, so really thinking things through and understanding business processes and things like that is such an important part of of doing that. It depends on, you know, the the makeup of a development team too, because, you know, somebody's got to sit down and, and write the code too. But um yeah. I I remember having an interesting conversation with somebody years ago at a conference where he was a business owner of a development shop and he his biggest problem that he was having was the younger programmers were afraid. He was giving them a day out of every week to go learn whatever they wanted to learn. And they were really reluctant to do that because they were really afraid of um, putting themselves in a situation outside of what they knew they could do and knew that they could be successful at. And they were afraid of failing. They were afraid of going back to being a beginner at something and going through a learning curve and, and not having the confidence that they've, you know, just just newly gained, right? Like they finally are, you know, I finally am good at something and somebody <laughs> wants to pull the rug out from under me, right? So it's the same, I mean, that's the same kind of thing I'm talking about. I, I was talking about what I'm doing constantly. I'm constantly pulling the rug out from under myself because I really think it's, you know, it is the way to be nimble. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I subject myself to like uh, code katas and stuff like that. Oh, those are on, fun. Yeah, on different languages. One of my favorite ones, um, which I'll be using it as a conference um, workshop, um, is to build a poker hand scoring algorithm. And I'll just take that and whatever the new language is, like I did it in Ruby, um, I recently did it uh, with uh, C sharp and then re um, uh, wrote it in functional uh, oh, style what a using C sharp. That's such a great idea. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm taking that one cool. to a workshop um, in uh, August. Music and City Code. in the workshop, are you going to w walk through the different languages? Like, okay, let's do it again. Yeah. So, okay, let's uh, do it again. Don't look at the old code. In the workshop, what we'll do is uh, we'll write some unit tests in C Sharp to create a poker scoring game. And then we will uh, refactor that code using functional mindsets to see what the difference is between the object-oriented version and the functional version. What, what conference are you doing that at? Uh, Music City Code. Where's so oh it's, is it's a newer like in, one. It's in Nashville. In Nashville, okay, that mm -hmm. makes sense. Oh man, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I thought it would be a fun talk, and I'm a visual learner too, so I plan on getting some cheap decks of cards. So how uh, how long is this session? Is it like a half day workshop or something? Yeah, it's four hours. Oh shoot, mm -hmm. you you can't think of a way to cut that down to about an hour so you can do it at our code the Vermont Code Camp in September. Um, I will accept that challenge. <laughs> uh, 
People said, love like doing a hands-on. That would be so much fun. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll take that offline. Yeah, in a few yeah, and, and hammer that one out. But yeah, that would be something <laughs> I'd like to do. I would. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it, it's it looks like it'll be fun. But that's the kind of things that I'll do. Um, another one I I did uh, is I took C, um, something I wrote in C sharp uh, as a uh, prototyping tool, and then. I was like, you know what? This would be great if everybody could use it in JavaScript land and just tried to port that over. And the surprising thing was is how easy it was to do. And I actually like uh, procrastinated on it much longer than it took me to actually execute <laughs> that. <laughs> you, you thought it was going to be hard, so it was hard to sit down and focus on it, and then it turned out to be easy. Yeah, I was just yeah. kind of like worrying myself like, oh, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to be at this for months. It's not going to work. And I'm going to have all these, you know, I'm not great at JavaScript. This was before I really knew JavaScript anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it was an exercise to learn it. Yep, so yep. it was like, it was one of those things. Um, I used the quote from uh, the War of the Worlds uh, book. Uh, I was a battleground of fear and curiosity. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So it's like I was, you know, scared to learn this new thing, but I was curious about God, it enough to get in there. What a great saying for coding. Coding, oh, I love it. a battleground of curiosity <laughs> and fear. Did I get yeah. that right? Fear and curiosity. It's um, H.D. Yeah. Uh, Wells, War of the Worlds, has yep. some really good stuff in it. So I'll throw those in my slides. You'll see those now and then. But, you know, it's, it's just taking something uh, that, challenges you and bringing another language or framework or something into it and seeing if you can execute on it, I think helps a lot. Yeah. And, I, you know, I find I, I do that when I'm challenged to learn something new. I'm like, no, 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 it's too hard. But, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too hard. But you just can't stop, right? And then you get to the point, like you get to that fulcrum of where, you know, it works and you get it and you're like, oh, it's so awesome, right? <laughs> so you, knowing that that's there, right, it kind of helps you get through the hard part. It's like there's a – I'm in no shape to do it right now, but there's a climb near where I live that, you know, steep – we've got steep roads here in Vermont. So when I say a climb, I'm talking about uh, road cycling. And it's like a three-mile climb and the first two miles – are just this slow uphill, uphill, uphill. And you get, there's this point where it gets a little steeper and it's like, oh, I, I just can't make it anymore. But what you can't, like just beyond the end of that little spot, because it, it's windy, you can't see it. But if you can just get around that corner and up the next thing, then it flattens out for, you know, a few hundred yards. And like, it's just enough to catch up before like the 20% grade at the end. I am not exaggerating about that, by the way. <laughs> so I realize you've heard this story before because I talked about it in that keynote at Codestock. So I kept getting caught, you know, like I kept getting stuck at that spot. Like I couldn't get past. I was like, oh, I'm dead. I can't, I can't go any further. And then one day I got a little further and I was like, oh, if I could just get myself around there, then I know there's this kind of golden place where it flattens out. So no matter how hard it was, knowing that that spot was there helped me just push through that last, you know, few hundred yards every time, even though they were the hardest. 
Like just knowing that that's there. And that's what it I feels like with coding and learning. It's like as long as I, I know that that's going to come, I know I will succeed. I will get there. But oh my God, the pain of <laughs> the pain you have to endure on the way. It's worth it, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> it's worth it. It's crazy. We're crazy. <laughs> I think that's excellent advice to end this on. Um, are there any uh, uh, sessions that you're giving, uh, places you're speaking, conferences uh, that you'd like to let people know about before oh, we go? No, coming up, I'm oh speaking at DevTeach in Montreal. I'm going to be talking about JavaScript, and I'm also going to be doing doing the Entity Framework core on my Mac there. Um, I'm going to be doing that again at .NET Fringe in Portland later in July. And um, the only other thing I've scheduled for myself is, so for the rest of the year so far, um, is Dev Intersection in the fall, of course. I'll always be at Dev Intersection in the fall. That's out in Las Vegas. And then your your blog is thedatafarm.com. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, we'll post links on the show notes for all of those things and uh, to your Pluralsight uh, courses as well. Great. Uh, so if people are looking for those resources, they can find them. Super. Well, thanks. It's been fun to talk with you. And I love the direction you brought the conversation into. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, very busy person, so as as are to have you, you on the show. As are we all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Julie. Great. Thanks, Ed. Hi, this is Ed Charbonneau with Eat Sleep Code, and I just wanted to let you guys know that we are trying to make the show better. So we've set up a survey at developer.telerik.com slash survey, and we are collecting feedback from listeners to see what we can do to make the show better for you. So please stop by developer.telerik.com slash survey and fill it out. We'd appreciate it. We've also got 10 licenses to Telerik products and t-shirts that we'll be giving away to 10 lucky winners. Thanks for your help.